the more awareness, the better choices you can make and the better results you will have. But for me to come back on your question, it's really push yourself. The subtitle is everything you want is on the other side mm -hmm. of fear. And that's most of the time it's the case. You want to go somewhere. You want to do something. You want to push yourself. You want to start your business. But you always have this, yeah, but what if? What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals, for organizations, for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting? Nothing is ever the same again. Breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Hey there, Rian Doris here with the Flow Research Collective and welcome to a new episode of Flow Research Collective Radio. Today, we welcome a true peak performer to share his story. Base jumper, Cedric Dumont. He started base jumping in 1996 and since completing his first jump, has competed in the X Games three times, finished third in the Sky Surfing, yeah, that's right, Sky Surfing World Cup and won the Brazilian Open of Sky Surfing. And Cedric has more than 10,000 skydives and 2,000 base jumps on his record and is always traveling the world in search of new adventures. He is, in many respects, the epitome of flow and of someone living a high-flow lifestyle. And there's lots of lessons that we can glean from that and from his new book, Dare to Jump, Everything You Want is on the Other Side of Fear. Now, in this episode, we not only talk about action sports and base jumping, we also talk about the practical learnings that business people, entrepreneurs, and knowledge workers can draw from Cedric's experience. We do our best here to bridge the extreme with the mainstream. So you're going to really love what we covered today. I know Stephen was really excited for this episode, given all the epic things that Cedric has done, and that came through. So you're in for a treat. Now, before we jump in, I want to quickly mention Zero to Dangerous, which is our flagship peak performance training. Zero to Dangerous is designed for high-performing, overworked leaders. That means knowledge workers, entrepreneurs, or executives, whatever you may be. Now, if you are feeling that you are unnecessarily sacrificing in your personal life for results that are less than what you know you're capable of in your professional life, Zero to Dangerous could be a fit for you. You will work one-on-one -on -one with one of our PhD-level peak performance coaches, and they'll help you implement neuroscience-based peak performance practices and protocols over time so you can work towards spending the majority of your workday in flow along with m multiple other really great effects and benefits. So if Zero to Dangerous is of interest to you, you can go to getmoreflow.com and pop an application through. It takes about 60 seconds to apply. Our team will speak with you to make sure it's a good fit. So that's getmoreflow.com. There'll also be a link in the show notes. So you can just scroll down and click that link directly and learn more about Zero Today and and apply there. That's getmoreflow.com. All righty, let's jump straight into the episode. 
huge welcome to Flow Research Collective Radio. It's absolutely great to have you here. I've been excited for this one, given all the incredible things you've been up to. So I'd love us to start at the beginning. Could you share the narrative with us of how you went from being born in Brussels to base jumping, becoming one of the early members of the Red Bull team, and then studying high-performance psychology? Because it's definitely a pretty epic journey. That's a very long story. Thank you for having me, first of all. I'll try to make it as short as possible. I I was born in Brussels and I've always been traveling a lot with my parents. And I think my parents have given me the opportunity to do what I wanted to do and be curious. And, and just action sports wise, I started skiing when I was three. As a good European, you go every winter to the Alps in Switzerland or, or France and you ski. So that's one thing. My father was working a lot in the U.S. as a real estate agent in Florida, also in California. And he brought me a skateboard back from California, I think, when I was four. So that was back in the 70s. And then I was going with him a lot when I was 9, 10, 11. And that's where I started surfing. I'm still a very average surfer, but that's to give you an idea of how I got into action sports and very weird but i started playing golf when i was nine and that hooked me right away for the whole focusing the mental aspect of the game and i think i was born competitive if i may say so i'm pretty demanding with myself i like to be good when i do something so golf for me was a way to be good at something and I my goal was to be pro which I never made it because I was simply not good enough both technically and mentally so that's interesting because I don't think I was born as a mentally strong person I became mentally stronger because I had to I had no choice but when I was playing golf I wasn't and basically back then we didn't have all these information on high performance and sports psychology i'm not saying that if i had this information i would have been much better but i think today somebody who wants to be a professional athlete or who wants to be like really good at something whatever the industry he's in or she is in we have way more information like flow hacking like high performance like energy management basically everything that i'm working with today so I quit golf when I was 19. Then I studied law at university. I quickly realized I didn't want to become a lawyer. <laughs> I think I did it for my parents and because, yeah, I had to study something. But the positive thing is that it brought me a lot of discipline to study. Like golf brought me a lot of discipline as well. I, I mean, I knew what commitment was. I knew what training was, engagement in something. So that was not new for me. And then when I was 22, I did my first parachute jump. I mean, again, story of my life, it wasn't planned. I moved to the US <laughs> to become a pilot and I ended up skydiving. I think skydiving for me back then, even though, was way more oriented towards freedom, uh, less paperwork, less procedure, I like the lifestyle. It was for me a, a mix of flying because I've, I've always been obsessed with flying since I was a kid and action sports. 
So when I, I did my first parachute jump and from there, for me, it was basically, it had everything. I had danger, I had excitement, I had freedom, I had speed. It was like, instead of gliding on a wave, I was gliding in the air and flying my body. Mm. And I thought it was way more interesting than flying a machine. Although I'm, I'm a pilot as well. And I think it's very interesting. But back then, I was really obsessed with, yeah, I think adventure, freedom, and following my path. That makes total sense. Some of the videos of you wingsuiting are just insane, by the way. Absolutely epic. So I'm psyched to dive into what being in that state actually feels like when wingsuiting. But before that, you mentioned that one of the shifts was that you became mentally stronger. I'm curious as to what the mentally stronger version of you was able to do or what differences there were within the mentally stronger version of you than there were beforehand in your younger self? What are some of the attributes that were developed there? Well, I think if you evolve in a high-risk environment where you can die on every jump, you have no choice. You have to be mentally ready. It's a mind game. You want to do something, you want to achieve something, but your mind is telling you, don't go there. It's just primal fear. And I think most of us are raised with a lot of fears and anxiety, but that's another topic. But me too, I think I had no choice. Basically, if I wanted to achieve my dreams in this environment, I had to be laser focused. I had to be, uh, I had to fill my brain with positive like thoughts. I had to fight against what we label as negative emotions. And after that, you see that every emotion has a function. So you're, you're fighting. I mean, you, you have to expand your comfort zone all the time. And for me, that's what I tell people when they, maybe you're, you were going to ask, but why would you do this? For me, it was a way to get to know myself, my deepest self, and get to know how far I can go as a human being. And you don't mm. have to jump from a building or jump with a wingsuit, but I've learned so much. It gave me so much self-confidence. Yeah, it's interesting. Connor Murphy's our chief science officer, and he's been skydiving now. He's coming up to about 500 skydives and 100 base jumps, I think, something like that. And he always mentions that it's completely shifted his career, taking up that hobby. You know, after jumping out of a plane 500 times, going into a difficult negotiation or engaging in some kind of conflict in the workplace is, you know, incomparably easier relative to that experience. Do you think it's possible to get that kind of development outside of action sports and doing extreme things? Or do you think that's necessary? Well, it's necessary and possible. I really believe that if you put your life or if you believe that you put your life at stake every time, and we put our life at stake every day, you don't have to base jump or skydive, but people, we're not connecting with our own mortality anymore. We think, oh, I will do this later. I have time. And no, there's an end. And what really, what I really like in my sport is that you are constantly being reminded, hey, there's going to be an end. So very quickly, you detach yourself from everyday little stress that would bother most of the people, but that I don't even care. I'm not saying I don't give a, 
okay? <laughs> but yeah, you detach yourself from a lot of stuff. And like you said, having conflict at work or having an issue with I don't know what, it's relative. It doesn't even, like I say to a lot of people, it, it glides like Teflon. I don't care. It happens fine. It doesn't, I'm okay. In my business, I'm the same. In my projects, I'm the same. I completely detach myself from a certain outcome. And I'm going to focus myself on the process and what's happening right here, right now. Or conversation, no, I'm not thinking, oh, what should I say? No, I'm just focusing on right here, right now. And I know that I can trust what I'm going to say. So, yeah, if you take up a, a hobby or it, when it becomes your job or a passion, however you call it, which is involving like high risk, of course, you change for sure. I think in a good way. <laughs> Not that you don't care about anything anymore. No, I'm not saying that. But yeah, you become way stronger. You become way more confident about it. You don't care about losing. You don't care about failure. Because failure in our environment, it's basically hurting yourself or dying. The rest, I'm going to quote Mike Horn, but he said, Beside the fact that I can die during an expedition, nothing bothers me. If I come back alive, everything is fine. I'm okay. I have the same. It's epic. Yeah, it's great to really underscore the point that action sports are not just the most fun you can have, but they're also like death practices that force perspective and accelerate growth. When did that you, you, really you, start happening for you? When did those shifts start happening? Well, first of all, I'm a very boring action sport athlete because I've never had a close call or I don't think I had a close call and sometimes I remember what we did like maybe 15 years ago like when it all started maybe I had but I didn't see it like this or I don't see it like this and I think it's a process because you start skydiving okay and then yeah what's next uh oh I'm gonna base jump and I started the base jumping, yeah, 25 years ago was the very beginning of base jump, not even the adolescence phase. It, it was the, the, like the early stages. So very difficult to get into it, to find the right people, to find the gear. And you no, know, you have internet, you can order online. That wasn't the case. So you really have to go towards the, the discipline. The discipline is not coming to you. So it started like this. I started base jumping and then I thought, hmm, that's interesting. That's, it's, it's giving even me more, you know, neuro triggers to name it. Yeah. And then what's next? And then I saw a picture of a French guy wingsuiting in, in 97. And then I called him and said, Hey, you want, I want the same just because this is exactly what I want to do since I'm a kid and I'm not the only one probably, but can you make me a wingsuit like this? And then he say, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to make a wingsuit. I tested it from an airplane, and that's how it started. So I think it's really a process, and it's a slow process. Uh, if you want to stay alive, it's a, keep it slow. Slow growth. You gradually up the stakes, and, and as you're doing that over the years, the internal shifts occur in parallel. Yes, and you're not really aware of this until you really study it. Like I had my law degree, and with this, I could do a high-performance psychology degree. In Belgium, you can like cross and do different stuff. I don't know if it's the same in the US, 
So I didn't have to do psychology all over again. I could jump straight into the field that interested me the most. And from studying this, I could put words on it and frame it. I said, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. Let's talk a little bit about what the experience of wingsuiting, because I think that's arguably the most extreme of all the extreme things you do. Would you, well, firstly, would you say is wingsuiting the highest risk and most extreme activity you do? That I do? Yeah. I mean, in action sports, yes. But I still believe that driving a car can be deadly. There are many other st- pollution is deadly. There are many deadly things that we're not even aware of. But to come back to your question, yes, but you make it as dangerous as you want. It's a really great point, though, that you bring up. And it's, I think, the difference between consequence and risk. And a lot of people conflate those. Obviously, wingsuiting is extremely high consequence because if something goes wrong, it goes fully wrong. But as you're saying, the risk is potentially lower than driving a car, for example, or, or something like that. So, Yeah, I mean, life is a risk. That's how I put it. Smoking is a risk. Obesity is a risk. And especially right now, what's happening, everything is, is a risk. And in the end, we're all going to die. But to come back to the wingsuit thing, you have to make a difference between skydiving, wingsuit skydiving, and wingsuit base jumping. If you go really far and if you push your discipline to the, I would say the furthest, you go wingsuit base jumping. That's okay. Got it. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the top of the top. So can you describe for us what it feels like internally when doing, you know, one of the most exhilarating and extreme wingsuit base jumps that you've ever done? What does it feel like to be Cedric at that point in the wingsuit? You mean before or during the flight or after? During. During. Um, yeah, yeah. During the flight, I talk a lot about this. You're in such a state of hyper awareness. You're so connected with your environment. You're so connected with yourself that there is no room for fear or anxiety. And everything goes really fast in your head. And at the same time, and that's basically flow, you have a distortion of time. Sometimes, to give you an example, if you jump from a building and you see the footage, it's like two, three seconds. But in your head, it was like an eternity. That's a flow state, as simple as that. Uh, wingsuit flying in, the, in mountains, like in, in Switzerland or Norway, you can have very long flights. Still, you are in a deep state of hyper-awareness. You are very instinctive. You are almost like an animal. And there is a point that you don't want to cross. And most of the time, I think you cross it. And I would say that's the dark side of flow, where you think you are invincible, where you think, well, nothing can happen. I'm above the law of gravity which is bull, okay? <laughs> but very quickly, and especially after a few times, you think, yeah, I can do that. So I always tell people there's a very thin line between self-confidence and ego. Don't cross the line. <laughs> because ego is the, can be very, very negative, And it's the dark side of performance. It's the dark side of flow. And you don't want to go there because then you make it, it's already dangerous, but you just, you're in the red zone. 
So for me, since I started in this environment, I have one rule, never to think that I'm good at it. I have a friend of mine who is in the Belgian Air Force and he's an instructor on F-16. Yeah, we have jet fighters in Belgium. Uh, <laughs> we not only have chocolate and beer, but we have jet F-16. <laughs> they're, they're very old, by the way. But he, when he has a new student, the first thing he tells them is, when you think you're good, that's where it becomes very dangerous. You don't want to cross this line. So I've always put myself in a, what I call a student mindset. Mm -hmm. So I'm always very open for information, even if I have 25 years of experience, even if I have thousands of jumps, I'm always mm. student. Yeah, no, that, that makes total. I was just going to say that is often referred to in psychology as the Dunning-Kruger effect, that threshold where you get just about over beginner level and then overestimate your competency and then start, you know, performing or behaving as if you are expert level but you're actually just a smidgen past beginner. And that's, that's often when accidents and incidents occur. Same in aviation. I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm a helicopter pilot. I see students and they have 150 hours and they think, I mean, they're unconsciously incompetent in a way. Yes. You know, right. you have conscious competence in conscious, that's what you just said. But so I think you have a comfort zone, you have a learning zone, and then you have a red zone. You don't want to go in the red zone. You want to stay in the learning zone. Which maps to the challenge skills sweet spot. For yeah, flow. exactly. One yeah, of yeah, flow yeah. most potent exactly. traits for sure. That 4% push and, and nothing more. Be so, between boring and anxiety, you know? You don't want to be yeah. bored. You don't want to be anxious. It matches right, your, exactly. your skill level. Yeah, yeah. Hey there, just going to interrupt. If you are a leader, a knowledge worker, or an entrepreneur, and you want to take your professional success to the next level while reclaiming time, space, and freedom within your personal life, then Zero to Dangerous may be a fit for you. Zero to Dangerous is our flagship peak performance training. You'll work one-on-one -on -one with our coaches. You'll go through our whole curriculum. You'll join a community of peak performers from all over the world. We're about seven or 800 strong at this point. It's an amazing group. So if that's of interest to you, go to getmoreflow.com, getmoreflow.com, pop an application through, takes 30 seconds. We would be excited to speak with you to see whether it's a good fit. So that's getmoreflow.com. Can you describe to us then what it feels like before and then after the jump also? So we got a little bit of a sense of what it feels like in it the hyper-awareness, et cetera. I love what you mentioned about the fact that it's almost, you almost feel like an animal. That's really interesting. But what about before and after? Well, before there's a whole mind game, like a process going in your head and a lot of questions. Am I ready for it? Do I have the level? Do I know the spots? Is the weather okay? I'm, I have like a checklist and I'm ticking the box every time and, for me, another golden rule to stay alive is if I start hesitating on something, don't go. Even if I have, and I think we all have this, and it's the same in business, but your life is not at stake. We all have a lot of external pressure. So you have pressure from the media, you have pressure. I mean, you have to prove that you can do it. You have peer pressure. A lot of accidents happen because of peer pressure. Uh, like, hey, we're going. I've had this many times. We go. I'm staying here. Really? Come on, man. I mean, look, 
it's okay. No, no, okay is not enough. For me, it has to be perfect. So if there is the slightest hesitation, I'm going to take a step back, reassess the whole situation, and probably come back when I have zero hesitation. In other words, maybe a better preparation, better strategy, more training, better people around me, name it. So for me, there is this decision-making point where you, okay, I'm going. I'm going because my intuition, my preparation, my action plan, my technique allows me to take that kind of risk. Like you said, risk versus uh, skill level. So there's a whole mind game. You have a lot of, (laughs) to put it simply, you have the what if here and the I can here. And if you listen, it's like in everyday life, a lot of people listen to the what if. At one point, you have to listen to the I can. Mm -hmm. I can. If the want is bigger than the fear, you're going to take action. And if you believe in what you do, if you have a, what I call a purpose, sounds weird, but for me, I have a purpose when I'm taking risk. It's a selfish purpose, fine, okay, but it's a purpose. Then I'm going for it. If I keep asking myself, what if, what if, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to take action. Let's hone in, though, on what you mentioned around intuition there. I didn't know if you'd use that word, but you did, and it's really intriguing. Uh, Stephen has been reading a book recently that he, he recommended to me and a number of others by Gary Klein called The Power of Intuition. And it's all about how to hone into gut instinct within business and separate the signal from the noise when it comes to your gut instinct or your intuition when it comes to business decision making. So what is it that you are honing into or that is driving your decision making process when you decide not to do? You said if you start hesitating, you don't go. But what is the intuitive feeling like? that stops you from jumping or that tells you it's okay to jump? Well, like I said previously, it's really that point of that tipping point of hesitation. It's like a balance. And if the hesitation become too heavy, if I'm starting to ask myself a lot of questions, you need a lot of self-awareness. I mean, intuition is also what you feel, not what you think. A lot of people are gliding on the surface of life because it's always what they think and and they follow no i follow a lot what i feel gut feeling like you said so for me i would say intuition if i have to define it it would be uh, my instincts based on my past experiences and i'm really using my past experiences which i'm building up all the time, of course, because you have to start from somewhere, but it's a step-by-step process. But the more experience you will have, the easier it will be to make the right decision. So yeah, it's part of what I think, but mostly what I feel at a certain moment. And like I said, if I start asking myself the question, "Mm, is it the right time? Am I well-prepared? Preparation precedes mastery. That's also a rule I have. Then I'm I'm going to take a step back, even if I have friends waiting for me, even if I have the media uh, waiting for some footage, even if I have pressure from a sponsor, which I've never had, by the way. It's a question I got asked all the time. Do you have to do 
stuff for Red Bull, for example? No, never. They will never, ever, ever force us to do stuff. It's always our decision to do it. Uh, I would say sometimes it's the opposite. So just saying that I've always been able since the very beginning of my career to say, I'm not doing this. I'm okay with it. It's again, an ego thing. I see this in, in the business environment. It's very hard for some leaders to tell their team or to tell their bosses or whoever. I don't know. I'm not ready. I worked last year with a French company who has a nuclear plants in Europe and they had some issues. I'm not going to go too deep into details, but for, and they're all engineers. So very smart people, you know, nuclear scientist, <laughs> way smarter than me. But for them, it was very hard to tell their team, I don't know, I'm not ready for that. We're not going to do it. And, you know, nuclear plants, it's nuclear energy. It's about national security. It's not someone jumping from a cliff. Okay. Right. It was very hard. And they told me, all of them said, I couldn't do that. It's not in my education. It's not in my mindset. It's not to say, I don't know. Because as an engineer, of course, especially nuclear engine, you have to know everything. You have to be ready all the time. How do you dial up the signal, though? How do you feel the feeling that stops you from jumping? Because I well, think that's the difficult bit for a lot of people. Is yeah. that it's tough to even know what, what the feeling is or if it's there. Like I've said, it's intuition. And I really follow and I trust my intuition. And in the end, a cliff or a building, it's, it's going to be there tomorrow. So you want to be there as well. So I don't put a lot of pressure on myself. I like to achieve something, but I detach myself from the outcome. Like I said in the very beginning. So if I can completely detach myself from a certain final outcome or final result, I call this detachment of outcome. I have a much better decision-making process. That's really interesting. That makes total sense to me that when, when you, if you detach yourself from the outcome of the decision, then the pressure and a lot of the noise that potentially blocks your sense of intuition or that feeling of gut instinct goes away. And so you can tune into it more. Yeah, because you're focusing on the process, not on the final result. I mean, many times I have an idea or a project, and if I think about the final result that I have to achieve, I would say most of the time I'm not going to even start because it's, again, to make a quick connection to business environment, a lot of time we're not starting a project or a business because we're not certain about the outcome, especially right mm -hmm. now in these disruptive times. But I think even the biggest entrepreneur were never certain about the outcome. But at one point, they took the first step and see, oh, yeah, okay, we can, okay, second step. And small steps, minimizing the risk. If you drive, I would say, a thousand miles at night, your car is not giving light to these thousand miles. Your car is giving light or lighting the, you know, 300 yards, 300 yards. And that's exactly how I process. I look mm. really like step by step. Yeah, you just made me think of something there with respect to flow. So one of the topics Stephen's extremely fascinated by is flow and intuition and whether or not flow elevates 
and improves intuitive decision-making. And we know that flow drives intrinsic motivation through the roof. And when you're intrinsically motivated, you are, by definition, less outcome-oriented and more process-oriented. And based on what you're saying, that then would lead to an increase potentially in intuitive decision-making. So there may be an indirect link there between flow into intrinsic motivation into a decrease in in outcome orientation and increase in intuition. I think there's a huge connection there because the more I am absorbed in immerse myself in the present moment, for me, it's very simple, but it always comes back to the same thing. It's the present moment. The more I can immerse myself in what I do in the present moment, the more I can trust my decision-making, the more I can follow my intuition because my brain is way calmer. I look at it as if you a boil of water with sand. If you're not in the present moment, if your mind is ruminating and wandering and I'm not panicking in a way, the water will be with sand everywhere. So my mm. goal to make the right decision is, is to have clear water with the sand like laying on the bottom and not even moving. That's how I try to picture my brain. Like it's a kind of meditation in a way. You become the observer. Mm. You're not fighting against fear or anxiety. You just, you know, you let let it be. Mm-hmm. Let it go and, and let it in. It's a mental practice. Huh? I'm not saying I yeah, from t- tomorrow I can be no, it it's for me it's it's exactly like a physical workout. I train my brain to be completely immersed in the present moment. If I have to resume flow in one sentence, and I'm not going to teach you anything about flow, but when I talk about flow and I have to just define it in one sentence, it's being fully absorbed in your action and at the same time letting go of everything. And in everyday life, it's very hard because your brain is just in the past, in the future, and it's 80% of our thoughts are basically going everywhere. Mm. So you really have to increase your self-awareness and it's a mental workout. I think that is a phenomenal single sentence summary of flow. That is one of the things that's so unique about flow and distinct about flow versus a state like a meditative state, which is that you are inherently and simultaneously engaged in action whilst fully absorbed and present versus a meditative state, you know, where the action component is obviously not there. And that's one of the things just that's so powerful about it is that, you know, you get to act whilst also being fully present. I think you have this in a creative process. Uh, you can have this when you go running. You don't have, you don't need to be in a high risk environment to get there. Uh, right. Yeah. I, you don't necessarily just, you don't have to be in a wingsuit. Although, no. I mean, one of the reasons it's so powerful is there's just so many flow triggers, you know, embedded into an activity like that. Yeah. It's going to yeah. make it much more likely. So, what about after a jump? We talked about during and before. What's the feeling upon touchdown? Well, if you have the chance to stay alive, uh, <laughs> no. But you have, thanks. Which, yeah. Um, well, it's, I think it's, pure joy and satisfaction and fulfillment i always make a big difference between pleasure and fulfillment 
which are for me two completely different things. But it's always the same risk reward. You remember Pawn Break 91? If you want the ultimate rush, you have to be willing to pay the ultimate price. <laughs> uh, who said that? Bodhi. Uh, <laughs> it was the first Pawn Break, but I, I, will, I will never forget this sentence. But in a way, the higher the risk, the more reward, the more satisfaction, the deeper your fulfillment. And that's what I think that's where you want to go. It's a neurochemical thing, you know, as simple as that. But it's like if you go to a fast food restaurant, that's what I call instant gratification. It's not going to take you anywhere. Even if you have, I like sometimes to go there. I'm not saying I never go. I like instant pleasure as well. I'm a human being. But in the end, what really brings us fulfillment is like it's growing. It's stepping outside of the discomfort zone and, and learning to know yourself. And for me, like I said, it's still a way to really get to know my deeper self and to really see as a human being how far I can go. So it's a very deep satisfaction. The big problem we have, and I think every extreme athlete or action sports athlete will have, I think the same is that after 100 times, your risk is the same, but your satisfaction is decreasing. You know, you've been there, mm -hmm. done that in a way. So when we started flying proximity with wingsuits, you know, terrain flying, in the beginning, you have like the highest sense of pleasure and satisfaction. And it's like a boom in your head. You know, it's like a big cocktail of every substances you can think about. But after 50 or 80 times, it's like, okay, what's next? And there is no next because next is dying. That's what Stephen mentions, you know, and Raz Superman around the dark side of flow is that there's only so far you can push the challenge skills balance. At a certain point, the challenge level is is so high that it is, yeah, just a, you know, a hairline away from death. Yeah. And obviously you don't want to go there. So in a way you will have to look for a different way to get some satisfaction and rewards. And in a way you have to reinvent yourself within your discipline. And I think a lot of us who were at that stage and after losing quite a lot of friends, at one point you ask yourself, okay, where do I want to go? Because if I follow this path, at one point I'm, I'm going to be part of statistics or I'm going to be on the base fatality list. You don't want to go there. Nobody wants. Mm -hmm. So you have to ask yourself, okay, am I going to, which basically I did, am I going to look for like unique locations? Am I going to look for flying in a very, very precise, technical way? with other friends and get your reward, your joy out of something else? That's the question because, yeah, we have limits. Cedric, I'd love to ask you, what is the single biggest takeaway that you would want to leave folks with that you've learned from action sports and extreme sports that is relevant in the business world or within leadership? I would say be bold because risk-taking is part of success. 
And be bold is for me, it's it's very wide. It's not I'm not saying be bold and risk your life or just risk everything you have. No. The title of my book is Dare to Jump. And I would say if you take the dare to, and if you go a little bit further, it's for me, it's dare to dream. Mm-hmm. It's dare to follow your path. We see so many people following outdated social cultural rules like they have to do this at a certain age they have to to follow a certain path and at one point in their life they're like looking back and say oh i climbed the ladder but my ladder is at the wrong side of the wall so for me i would say and that's maybe the main takeaway we all have a different benchmark of excellence and we all want to grow in a different way. I, I mean, I, I don't know many people who would want to jump from a cliff with a wingsuit, but I don't care. What I want to see around me is people who are living their dreams. I want to see people who are at the end of their life, who are being able to look back and tell themselves, hey, I did it. Mm-hmm. I lived my dreams and not at the cost of everything either. If you start a family, well, uh, you have to spend time with your family. But these are choices. We all make little small choices every day. And where you are now is the result of the choices you made the past, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years. And where you will be in 10 years will be the result of your everyday little choices, as simple as that. So the more awareness, the better choices you can make and the better results you will have but for me to come back on your question it's really push yourself like the subtitle is everything you want is on the other side Mm -hmm. of fear and that's most of the time it's the case you want to go somewhere you want to do something you want to push yourself you want to start your business but you always have this yeah but what if Mm -hmm. because we're humans because we've been raised like that you know, when, when your parents ask you 50 times, are you sure you don't want to look for like security? You don't want, and it's even more in Europe than in the US. That's why I love the US because you're so, I'm not going to say competitive because that would sound negative, but there's such a freedom of following Aspiration. your path way more than Yes. Yes. And for me, US, since I'm a kid has always been like, place where you can make it and you can achieve your dreams and well it's okay in europe i'm not saying it's everything is like that but and if i go a little bit further on there too especially for leaders in the business industry there to be yourself Mm -hmm. there to show your vulnerabilities i think in times of disruption showing empathy showing compassion for the people you work with or you work for is a Mm -hmm. must it's so important. There to make choices. Mm. Most of the time, we are, we are masters of yes, and we want to please everyone. But if you want to achieve something, if you want to be highly productive, you have to say no most of the time. It's making sacrifices in a way. You have to be able to say, hey, no, this is not my priority. There to speak up. Mm-hmm. And I can go on for a long time if you want <laughs> No, it's epic, Sandy. It's absolutely epic. Super, super important, helpful advice. And I want to underscore that your book is epic and people should check that out. 
Dare to Jump is the title. I'm sure they can get it anywhere online, Cedric. Yeah. And where else should people go to learn yes. more about you and, and dive deeper? Uh, you can check my website. It's www.cedricdumont.com. And of course, I'm on Instagram, same name. I'm on uh, LinkedIn, where I post a lot of business-related questions and, and topics. And always making a connection between business is an adventure. So it's not hard to make the connection. But I really focus on this connection. And my book is, there's a little bit about flow hacking in my book. I'm, I'm even quoting Rise of Superman in there. So but very shortly, very shortly. But my book is about which skills you need today to embrace change, to use uncertainty, to stay relevant, and to work in a team environment. So I'm talking about what I call power skills. And these three power skills is the first thing is having a rocket mindset. And within this rocket mindset, it's, it's a limitless mindset. If you have the right mindset, you can achieve anything. And for me, the, this rocket's mindset is a growth mindset, an owner's mindset, being fully accountable and purpose-driven mm -hmm. mindset. You won't change. You won't risk anything if you don't have a clear purpose. My second skill is focus. And for me, focus is the new IQ. If you have the right focus, internal, external, again, you can achieve anything. And finally, my third power skill is trust. And trust is, for me, it's, it's uh, right now, it's the most important. That's what we need. We're all working remote. It's going to stay like this for a while. I mean, we need to trust each other. The future of work is about having the right network. And you want to be a trusted leader. You want to be able to trust the right people. You want to be able to create a safe environment for your team to, again, to dare to test, to fail, to grow, to change without being judged. If you trust each other, you're not going to be scared uh, how people perceive you or how people will judge you. You don't care. We trust each other. A lot of companies right now uh, are really, really putting a lot of energy and focus on the trust factor. Mm -hmm. I've been working with a Formula One team, but also with the, the Belgian Red Devils, who are like top three uh, football, soccer team in the world. And it's all about trust. Mm. It's about having a shared purpose, walking in the same direction, the right integrity, reliability, uh, credibility, but also full accountability and the right communication. Mm. And that's all in there. Nice. Well, Epic Brother, thank you so much for, for dropping all these knowledge bombs. Uh, it, was, it was super to catch up and hang out and no doubt we'll do it again. So appreciate your time. Thank you very much. If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective Radio has been helpful, please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple, Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.